All right. You should just continue on, Julie. Don't give up. Just keep going. Press on for the glory of the Lord. All right. Well, we are so excited to have you here tonight, so we're going to get started. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Um, Again, uh, bear with us for the next, uh, probably next week will be the last week of the lobby and hallways and flooring out there, Um, and then we'll move on to carpet from there little by little. So just bear with us a little bit longer. Uh, The dust is insane. When they're grinding up the concrete, it just puts it everywhere. So we tried to get it under control today. Uh, Hopefully, if you have allergies or something, that doesn't drive you crazy. But thank you for bearing with us through this kind of flooring redo. So um, the gym is, uh, other than just having dusty footprints all over it from today, uh, the gym is the finished product as far as the kind of shine it's going to have, the look of it. That's what it's going to look like. Um, So that will be the lobby and the hallways will be just like the gym floor. Um, so prayerfully, that will help with durability. Uh, obviously, messes and having connection out there and stuff will cut down on stains and all of that. Uh, that being said, uh, we will be carpeting the auditorium sometime soon, hopefully next couple of months. Our goal is by Christmas to have most of the carpeting done. Um, we're gonna just going to install it little by little. Um, I see a lot of you really enjoying that coffee. You're really, oh, you're loving it. You're sipping it. Mm, So good and warm. Um, That may or may not continue. Probably not going to continue. So so just maybe start praying now for the Lord to work in you to get to that point. Um, Because somebody even asked me, they said, when the new carpet comes in, are you guys going to still have coffee in there? And I was like, oh, no, no. Um, But no, we'll see how the Lord leads. uh, But I feel pretty confident in his direction. So... um, But if you wonder why, uh, you're welcome. We're going to take all these chairs up when we do the carpet. um, And you're welcome to come up that day that we do that. And you can see all the stains in all the, under the chairs. Um, And I'm not saying anyone here would ever have spilled coffee and walked out. But, you know, it happens. So, Um, but I say all that kind of tongue-in-cheek that we will, or we are excited for the change and the improvement. And again, so thankful for the Lord providing the the funds to do that. Um, Just talk to the carpet guy today and we're going to be sending out, next week, uh, the order for all the remaining carpet for the building. And so we're going to go and take care of that next week. So super excited for that. So we'll have all the carpet on hand and then we'll install it little by little as we can through whatever rooms we can do in the course of a day or two and, and kind of go from there. So super excited for that. Uh, along with that couple announcements, I do want to share just briefly. Uh, you guys are going to notice in your bulletin on Sunday, uh, we are starting Operation Christmas Child this Sunday. So you will notice that there will be an insert in there that will give you all kinds of information about Operation Christmas Child, how to pack a shoebox. If you've never done that before, um, it's basically just a ministry through Samaritan's Purse, which is connected to Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son. And so what they do is you pack a shoebox and it's for Christmas. You decide if it's going to be for a boy or a girl. You can pick the age range. Then you fill that shoebox with different items, toys and stuff. There is a list of things you can give and things you cannot send because it's obviously going overseas. So I think like toothpaste or different things like that cannot be sent. Uh, but that's all explained in the little book that you're going to get on Sunday. Then we collect those in November, and then we send them out to Operation Christmas Child, and they send them to children all over the world. And so, so amazing to be a part of that. Um, it's, a, it's a great way to really impact children for eternity, because when they receive the shoebox, uh, the way it usually goes, as far as I understand it, is uh, a local church receives the shoeboxes for their community. 
and they are the ones that distribute the shoeboxes. So this is going through a church. And then when those children arrive to get their shoeboxes, they also have a presentation of the gospel. Now, what's really great about this is it's not like we're going to share the gospel. If you get saved, you get a shoebox. And if you don't, you don't. We don't do that. They don't do that. Um, they present the gospel, and then they allow the children to have time to either receive or reject the gospel completely up to them. Um, and the shoeboxes are given as an act of love. And so it's so amazing to know that you can have a hand in a young person somewhere in the world coming to Christ or affirming something they've already been hearing. So that's going to start up this Sunday. So we'll have a video about that, explains more about it, and we'll have more information. I do not know if we will have a table set up by Sunday with everything going on out here. Um, we'll do our best to have one by Sunday, but I can't guarantee that. Usually there's a table in the lobby that'll have pamphlets and all the things you will need, even shoeboxes, actual shoeboxes that you can take and use um, that are already kind of designed like Operation Christmas Child. You can use any shoebox you'd like. All we ask is that whatever shoebox you use, please, if you want to wrap it, that's awesome, but please don't wrap the shoebox shut because they have to open every shoebox and check it at the distribution center before they send it out, okay? So you can wrap the lid and the shoebox separate, but do not wrap the whole box as one. All right, also want to let you know, uh, and you'll hear more about this on Sunday as well, um, our uh, student ministry, Impact Student Ministries, uh, they do a, a ministry every single November. Uh, it's called their Fruit Basket Ministry. So what this is, is uh, the church donates various items. Um, and I believe the sign-up sheet is right back here on the Welcome Center. So you don't got to go as far to the Welcome Center. It's right there. Um, so you can sign up for different items that are being asked for. They put these together uh, on a Saturday morning, and then our student ministry goes and delivers these fruit baskets to shut-ins, uh, widows, widowers uh, connected to our church, or maybe family of someone in our church. And so they go out, they deliver them to them just as an act of love, an act of kindness, to just encourage them, let them know we're thinking of them. So that's going to be going on in November. Um, all donations are going to be due by November 15th. And so at the back there, there is a sign-up sheet for that. So if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, there's various things you can sign up for. You can also give financially. They buy all the fruit uh, the day before. So obviously it doesn't sit around. So Pastor Greg will go buy all of that. So if you'd like to do that, you can do that as well. All right. Also, uh, ladies have the 12 days of praise coming up, the potluck, uh, Saturday, November 11th. So just think about that. Uh, ladies, again, that's going to be at 12 o'clock. Um, this is something they did last year. The ladies did last year. Um, there's also booklets back here that explain more about this. It's basically just spending 12 days uh, just praising the Lord and being thankful for things the Lord has blessed you with and then come together on the uh, 11th for a time of potluck and sharing and all of that. So it's going to be a great time for the ladies. So mark your calendars for that. And again, there's information at the back and there will be something in the bulletin this week. All right. Also, I know I got a million things going on, but it's so exciting. Um, also, we do have our men's chili cook-off. That's coming up October 21st. And so that is completely free for men of all ages. So teens, kids, adults, all welcome to come. Uh, we're going to do uh, a contest. So popular vote, chili, gets a prize. Uh, we have a trophy. We'll put your name on there, the year, and all of that. There will also be some gift cards. Uh, we're going to do a cornhole tournament for the guys, and so it's always a great time. So the 21st, 11 to 2, completely free. Do not have to bring a chili, but right now I think we have six chilies signed up, something like that. Uh, so I'd love to see some more chilies being brought in. Um, it just makes it more fun when you have more options to pick from. So uh, I'm going to win the contest, but you can still bring a chili and try. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't know if I'll win or not, but I, it's, it's pretty good chili. Um, 
So also we have our youth all-nighter coming up. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, the 20th of October for students 7th through 12th grade. Uh, meet here at the church at 10, ends Saturday the 21st at 7. Uh, free all-night event for students that are interested in coming to that. Again, can be students in our church, not connected to our church. If you have family members or friends that'd like to come, that'd be awesome. All right. And then we also have Harvest Hayride coming up. Whew. Okay, towards the, what is that, the 26th, 7th, 27th, yeah, 27th, you guys are going to make me look, see, you should just, you should know, I'm just, yeah, 27th, um, which is a Friday, so that's going on over at the Proctor's house, and we'll do a hayride, a bonfire, all that stuff, again, there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you'd like to bring a dish to pass, again, a free event, anyone's welcome to come, so we encourage you to come on out, so lots of different things going on for the next couple of months, so many things we're excited about, um, opportunities to grow in fellowship, to invite people to so that they will hear the gospel and, and come to know Christ or grow in Christ. And so we're excited for that. All right. Any questions about any upcoming events or activities? Any questions about anything upcoming or anything going on? No? All right. Well, let's pray. And then we'll give you guys your handout for uh, our study tonight. Father, we thank you for this evening. And Lord, we thank you for just meeting with us uh, here, Lord, as we gather to worship you. Father, we pray that as we come before your word, that we would be open to it, that we'd be responsive to it, Lord, that we would um, hear what you have for us and allow it to penetrate our hearts and minds, that we'd be changed by hearing it. Lord, that we would not just come in these doors and leave the same way we came in, Lord, but we would desire to be changed by your word, by the working of your spirit, to conform us into the image of Christ, that our thoughts, our desires, our motivations, Lord, they would all be surrendered to you, that you can change us and guide us and move us however you see fit for your glory. And so, Father, I thank you for every single person that is here tonight, Lord. I thank you for the kids and the teens and, and those that are gathering tonight to worship as well. We just pray that you would work in and through all the teachers, those that are sharing the word of God, uh, those that are leading these children and teens, uh, Lord, to you uh, through your word. I pray you'd give, again, open hearts and minds to them, Lord. I pray if there's anyone in those ministries or here in, in our group tonight, Lord, that doesn't know Christ, that they would come to know you before it's everlasting too late, that they would not trust in religion, good works, morality, or anything of the such, but they would trust in Christ alone, the only way that we might be saved. Father, again, we thank you for gathering us together tonight, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing in our lives right now. We pray that we would just continually look for opportunities to make you known and to grow in our knowledge of you. And so, Father, may you be glorified in all that is said and done tonight. Lord, we also, uh, of course, lift up at this time just everything going on overseas, Lord. Um, Father, we think about what's going on with Israel right now, but Lord, it's not just Israel. There's, uh, Lord, tensions and fighting and, and things going on um, with Russia and Ukraine and just other people groups, Lord, in different areas uh, overseas. And there's just so much right now in the world as far as division and um, hatred, just violence, Lord. And we just pray that as all these things are going on, Lord, that you would bring about a resolution, that there would be peace. But Lord, we know at the same hand, uh, Lord, that this is what you said would happen, that there would be seasons like this and times like this when we live in a fallen world. And so we pray, Father, that whatever you can do in this situation to bring about your glory, we pray that you would do. And we know that that's what you're going to do. You're going to glorify your name through all of this. So help us, Father, to keep our eyes on you. Uh, thankful for tonight, Lord. What a great study to get into tonight with everything going on. That we'd be reminded that our God is on his throne. 
And there is nothing that shakes you. And so help us to be reminded of that, to be encouraged in that, and strengthened in that, as the original readers of this letter were. And so, Father, again, we give you all the praise and glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I do need a couple volunteers. So, maybe one more volunteer. Okay, great. So I've got handouts for you. So everyone needs a handout, new week. And I've got clipboards and pens. So if you'd like a clipboard to put your paper on to write on, Andrew's going to help you out with that. Jeff's got the handouts. And then if you need pens, we can get you pens. So who needs a handout? Does it, or not a handout, a clipboard. Anyone need a clipboard? Want to write on a clipboard? All right. Oh, William doesn't need one. It's okay. All right. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4. So we're continuing our study through Revelation tonight. So Revelation chapter 4. You guys can go ahead and, and turn there if you'd like. We're actually going to go ahead and start by reading all 11, 11 verses of chapter 4 to get us started. So we'll do that in just a moment. All right. Oh, yep. We got some more pens. Anyone else need a handout, a clipboard, or a pen? All right. Lynn's been around enough. She knows. She always just has pens. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Thank you, brother. All right. So we are in Revelation 4. And so we have kind of taken a little bit of a break from actually reading through the text. Uh, Many of you remember we started back in, I don't know, June or July, uh, looking at the book of Revelation. Um, On Wednesday nights, we usually just open it up to whatever people in the group want to study. So we've had people give options or um, ideas. We studied Isaiah. We went through Exodus. We've done some smaller studies through some things. One passage study, one book, uh, larger books, different topics. We did uh, the Fruit of the Spirit before Revelation. So uh, somebody said, hey, why don't we do a study through Revelation? So we started with, obviously, the beginning of the book, and we went through the seven letters to the seven churches. And from that, we watched uh, two films that kind of took us on location for those seven church sites today. And I pray again that that was beneficial to you. If you enjoyed that, and you want to go ahead and watch that again with someone in your family or whatever, I know I couldn't wait to sit down with Sandra and uh, my two sons and watch it with them, uh, the first one. And so they thought it was really cool and engaging and all of that. So if you'd like to do that, uh, we have a library here. And so that should be available in the library. Um, I believe both should be in the library right now. And so if you want to look into that, you're welcome to go down. It's at the end of the hall, down by the Word of Life room, to the right-hand side. You'll see just a small little room there. Uh, And again, we have tons of different resources in there as it's kind of new and growing. But if you'd like to do that, you can. Uh, And obviously, we took a break for Word Life Carnival and some other things. And so now we're diving back into the text. So I'm so thankful and I've been looking forward to this chapter um, because I absolutely love what we read here. 
Now, we'll go through chapter 4. Uh, we'll see if we get through the whole chapter. If we don't, that's fine. We'll just pick it up next week um, because we will still spend time at the end of our service breaking up and spending time in prayer, uh, which we always try to make time for on Wednesday nights. We really want to emphasize praying together as a church. Uh, as we said, even on Sunday night, we were talking through Acts uh, 12 and Peter being in prison. And so if you weren't with us, we invite you out this Sunday night. We just go through a, a passage kind of verse by verse and break it apart. Uh, but we talked about the fact that the church church while Peter was in prison was praying without ceasing and they were doing it as the church together in one location. So the reason we as a church want to emphasize praying together as a church is because we see the early church doing it and God moved mightily among the church. And so as we walk through this passage, I pray it's an encouragement to you. Um, And as I said, especially for what's going on in our world today, but really this is true of every day of our lives. There's always something if we really are honest, we can always find some reason to get discouraged, distracted, get our eyes off the Lord in the world we live. And so uh, I'm excited to dive into this passage. Also, the kids are going to be next door. And so um, with the new flooring, the echo's gotten just a slight bit worse. And so we will be soundproofing that, but just bear with us through that. But I personally love hearing the kids playing and running around and stuff like that. So um, I would love to get a volunteer, a couple volunteers to read for us. Um, That way you're not just listening to me all night. You hear enough of me. So uh, maybe verses 1 through 5 and then 6 through 11. So maybe two volunteers. All right, Andy, 1 through 5 and then 6 through 11. Who'd like to read that for us? 6 through 11. Julie, awesome. All right, whenever you're ready, Andy. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So, lots in this chapter, but I absolutely love that we get a glimpse into this moment. Um, And it reminds us, and I pray this is what it does for you, at least for me, it reminds me that when I get discouraged by what I see around me or in this world, that God is far above and beyond what I understand. 
and he is on his throne. And so we're going to walk through this. And there's some things in here we're going to touch on next. Well, if we finish this tonight, next week, what I'd like to do is kind of put a pause in, in the text before chapter 5. And then I kind of want to give you the overview of different views in the church of Revelation, really of end times. If you've ever studied end times, if you've grown up in different denominations, different backgrounds, you have family that are different, um, maybe ideas behind end times. It's one of those things that everybody has so many ideas on, but yet in some ways we have limited scripture on. Now, we know certain things are for sure. Christ is going to return. There is going to be a final judgment, all those things. But the specifics sometimes gets debated in church history. And the timing of this, or what does this prophecy look like, and what does this fulfillment look like? And, and so there's some different ways that church denominations, backgrounds, church history have taken those prophecies or end times ideas and grouped them together in kind of theological categories. So what I want to do next week, if we get done with this tonight, is I'd like to kind of just lay that out so that you kind of have an idea of, okay, here's the different ways that people might look at Revelation. Because to some degree, it's, it's okay to agree to disagree. You might talk to somebody who's like, oh no, I don't believe that a rapture is going to happen. We believe in a rapture that will take place. Some people may say, well, I believe in a rapture, but I think it's going to happen after the tribulation. Well, we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. And then you have people that go, I don't really know what's going to happen. And so I'm just going to trust the Lord and not worry about it. And so, and everything in between. And so we want to kind of lay out just the basics so that when you start going through the book, you can start to develop kind of what you believe scripture is saying within the parameters of keeping it in context. Okay. But you may have a different opinion of one aspect of end times or one aspect of this part of end times and still be a follower of Christ, still be fully united with the body of Christ. Okay, so these are not divisional issues. It's not like denying the virgin birth or denying the sinless life of Christ. And so again, there can be some agree to disagree in some of these things. But in chapter 4, we see something very, very clear. And that is that God will be worshipped, right? That's really, if you had to kind of summarize all of chapter 4, God will be praised, right? So let's dive into it. So in your notes, letter A, we see the invitation of God. The invitation of God. This is in verses 1 and 2. As was read, he says, He looked, and behold, the door was open in heaven. And what happened? He was called up. Come up and see these things, right? So number one in your notes, John is invited up to see a revelation of things that must be hereafter. He's going to see things that are going to take place after this. So number two in your notes, Notice John says that he was, quote, in the spirit, in the spirit. This phrase means that this is a vision. He did not physically go to heaven. Okay, he's not physically going to where God is. He's in the spirit. What does that mean? He's seeing this in a spiritual sense. It's a vision. He's still physically on the island of Patmos. Okay, now in the scriptures, and I want to pause here for a second, because we've heard over the last 20, 25 years, different stories about people who supposedly have died and gone to heaven and come back. Um, and when you hear these stories, not only to heaven, some have even said hell. I believe there's a book, tw 23 Minutes in Hell or something like this. Um, but there's a movie too that was based on one of the stories. I think it's Heaven is for Real or something like that. And these stories have gotten a little bit of traction. I don't hear as much about them in the last few years as we did for a little while there. And it always amazed me that it was like one story came out and like a year later another one happened. 
and a couple years later another one happened, and then you didn't hear anything for a while. So it's kind of amazing. They all kind of happen in the same time frame. But when you hear or read of these accounts, we must be careful not just to believe what we're reading. And I know it's hard to believe, but there are people who may just being, might just be being deceptive. There was one example of one family that literally after the fact, after a few years, came out and said, yeah, this really didn't happen. We actually made it up. That the parents basically encouraged the child to kind of fabricate the story a little bit. And so I know we hate to think that that would happen, but just because somebody says they had an experience does not necessarily mean it was true of God's doing. Okay? And so we have to be careful here because, again, even in the New Testament, even in all of Scripture— We have very limited moments where somebody had a vision of God's throne. We do have those, and I'll give you those verses in a moment. But even when Paul talks about that he went to the third heaven, which is more or less heaven, heaven, not just atmosphere, but like where God is, he says, the Apostle Paul, who received direct revelation from God, said, whether I was in the body or out of the body, I can't tell you. So if the Apostle Paul wasn't 100% sure and even when he says the things I saw, I, I didn't know how to put into words. I'm, I'm kind of hesitant when somebody supposedly dies, goes to heaven, comes back, and has very specific details. So I'm just throwing it out there as we're talking about this. John doesn't physically go to heaven. It's a vision. He's in the spirit. Okay, so he's, it's, it's a thing he's experiencing in the spirit. Also, oh, go ahead, brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this, the Holy Spirit was kind of giving him that access, if you want to say it that way. Um, again, some people will look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and it says that the Spirit picked them up and moved them and put them down. And they'll go, well, see, he physically went. But in this case, that's not the same way it's being translated. It's literally a vision of the things to come. So he's not physically going to heaven. The Spirit is giving him this insight. So through the Holy Spirit, he's having this understanding. Again, similar to um, Isaiah. Isaiah had a vision of the throne through the Spirit. So the Spirit was still working there, although worded differently than what John's experience was. Um, Also, in these stories of people going to heaven and coming back or whatever, one of the common things that I've, I've heard when I've read these accounts or some of these accounts is it seems like when the person gets to heaven, it's all about them. Like, like one example, I forget which one it was, but the basic story was the angels were serving the child. Like the angels were waiting on the child hand and foot. Like everything was about that child. Um, everything in heaven seemed to be centered on the person. And again, what's, what's the picture here? What do we see? What's the centerpiece of heaven's worship? The throne, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So again, just be careful when you hear these things. If it seems like... This person went and it was all about them and their experience of what God did to them or with them or everything was about them. I just get a little hesitant about that. Again, could God do something like that? God can do whatever God wants to do. But based on scripture, based on the pattern of what we see from scripture, I don't see that being a normal thing that God does in scripture. Okay. Um, And in fact, what does Jesus say? Who's the only one that's ascended and descended? Jesus. We know there's some who have gone to heaven and not died, right? Enoch, right? Um, Elijah. But they didn't come back, right? Once they went, they were there. And actually, he talks about that actually Jacob's ladder, coming and going, right? And so again, just be careful of that. And I just want to throw that out there as we're kind of in this part of the passage. 
uh, letter B. Or no, I'm sorry. Let me just real quick. Um, so the revelation that John is going to receive is all about exalting the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This revelation is not about John, and that's important. Again, many Christians that claim to have received revelations from the Lord, not just about going to heaven and coming back, but just any sense of extra biblical revelation. In my experience talking to them, it seems to center on them or their desires. A lot of times I've had people tell me, oh no, God gave me a revelation, and then it proceeds to be all about them. And that's not the example we see here in Scripture. It's about God, right? Um, Again, we as a church, we do not believe that God gives extra-biblical revelations, meaning never before revealed, brand new to you, like he did with the apostles or the prophets. We believe that is not happening today. Because if that does happen, and you get a word of revelation that's brand new, never before revealed to anyone, and it seems to contradict Scripture, now we're in trouble. Because now, what's the standard? You tell me you had this experience. Scripture says this. Now we've got to decide. Somebody's wrong. And I just believe that we will stand with Scripture. Now, if you feel led in a way to have this moment of experience, or you believe God is leading you in some way by the the Holy Spirit, and it's affirmed by Scripture, I have no problem with that. You're praying about something, and God seems to orchestrate some things, and it just seems to fall right in your lap, and you know this is of God. And that's affirmed in Scripture because the outcome was to glorify him. Somebody came to Christ. There was some form of edifying of Christ. I have no problem with that. But I've talked to people. I used to work with an individual who every day had a revelation. And these very intricate things that he would have these visions and things. But yet it was all about putting him in the centerpiece of what was going on. And so, again, it was just very strange when you hear those things. So just, again, be careful. Uh, There's no new revelation beyond Scripture. This is our final authority, right? Because God is not the author of confusion. So with that, this revelation is unique. That's the point I'm making. It's unique what John is experiencing. Uh, Letter B, again, where does the revelation center? Letter B, the throne of God. The throne of God. So we see this in verses 2 through 7. 2 through 7. So in your notes there, uh, we read about the throne of God referenced in various texts throughout Scripture. Some a little more clear than others. Some are just a reference. Um, This is not an exhaustive list, but just give you some examples. I believe I put in your notes Isaiah 6, Psalm 11.4. You guys have those in your notes? Okay. So those are just some examples of other places Scripture talks about the throne of God or where God's throne is located in heaven, things of like that nature. Um, When you read about the throne of God, there's some interesting things there, right? Kind of some scary things. Uh, When you read about angels depicted in Revelation, you realize whenever an angel appeared, the angel had to say, fear not. Because there's some strange sounding things to our ears, right? Um, Again, remember too, uh, some of the numbers referenced are intended for symbolism, right? Sometimes in Revelation, it's an actual number. Sometimes it's meant to represent something. Uh, We see some different numbers represented here. And we'll dive into that in just a moment. Um, But when you read verses 2 through 7, the different depictions of the throne, what, like, what do you think of, like, what comes to mind when you read that? Like, what, I don't know, what do you, what do you start picturing in your mind? Obviously, we try to picture what it looks like, we can't, but what comes to your mind? What do you start to feel as a follower of Christ when you read that depiction of the throne of God? Peace, absolutely. Love that. Awestruck, right? Yep, just in awe of who he is. What else comes to mind? 
Okay, the beauty of everything. Yeah, beauty of everything. Yes, yeah, he is who he is, exactly, yes, yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just that definitive declaration, God is who he is. He doesn't have a creator or a sustainer. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. And that's what we can't stand before his throne, right? How does it describe the voice of God from the throne? Talks about the thunderings, right? The sound of that. The lightnings that are coming from the throne. Just, if I saw that, I think I would have peace knowing that's my father. But I think I would also be trembling. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. Yeah. No, there's an intimidation to it, right? So what is it meant to do? I believe it's meant to humble us. It's meant to humble us. We're supposed to be before the throne. Man, when you read stories of people seeing the throne of God in a vision, Isaiah or John falls down like dead men, right? Weak, unable to even speak. And I've said this before, the song, uh, Mercy Me song, um, I Can Only Imagine, and it talks about when I get before the throne, will I do this? Will I do that? Will I do this? I understand the point of the song. But to me, when I hear that song, I kind of get a little bit irritated because I'm like, you're not going to do anything but just fall on your face. Like, you're not going to dance before the throne of God. You're going to be shaking and trembling and falling down and worshiping the God on the throne. Now, I understand the joy and the peace. There will be all of that. But I believe our initial reaction will be that is amazing. Because we've never seen anything like this. Our human eyes have never seen this. To the point where when John's trying to describe it, he's trying to think of things that he's experienced. This is why it's not actual thunder. It's not actual lightning, right? He says it's like this. He's trying to think of things that he's, man, what, what sounds like that? Like the trumpet re- reference. I heard a voice like a trumpet. Well, it's not a trumpet. It's like a trumpet, meaning it's, it's loud, it's, it's firm, right? So he's hearing these things. Also, we notice uh, a group of individuals. We see angels involved around the throne. But also, we do read about these 24 elders. So, again, some interpret this differently. The basic understanding, traditional view would be, these 24 elders, who are they and why are they there? So I think under number one, I might have given you a little spot for notes. Um, first thing we have to note, nowhere in the book of Revelation does it definitively tell us who they are. So there's no verse that says, and the 24 elders are this. Okay? So we have to understand that. Nowhere specifically identifies who the 24 elders are. However, the traditional view is that they are most likely representative of the church. So representative of the church. The reason for that, and it's listed there, they're wearing white. So what does white in Scripture represent if somebody's wearing white? 
purity, righteousness. How are we wearing white as Christians? Only through Christ, right? We have filthy rags in our own accord. Christ takes his sinless life in the moment of salvation, imputes that righteousness, gifts that righteousness to us. Now we live in the righteousness of Christ. Also, it talks about the fact that they have crowns. So nowhere does it talk about angels wearing crowns. That's why people don't believe these are angels. And so we know that the Bible talks about believers receiving crowns. Uh, specifically, it talks about the victor's crown. We just talked about that with the seven churches, right? Those that persevere will receive the crown or receive the prize, okay? Uh, Paul talks about the prize. So some believe, okay, that's another indication. This could be representative of the church or believers in Christ. Um, also, these individuals sit in some form of leadership position. They're sitting on thrones. So there's some level of co-leadership or co-reigning or ruling with the one on the throne. Now, again, we know the Bible speaks to believers ruling and reigning with Christ, right? So again, that's another indication that people think this may be referring to the church. Also, the number 12, the first week we talked about some of the numbers in Revelation. Again, some people go crazy with the numbers, okay? I think there's some representation there of the numbers in Scripture. But again, let's, you can go too far with some things too. Um, the number 12, does anyone remember what the number 12 represented? When we looked at all the numbers, 1, 3, 7, 10, 40. Number 12 represents God's people. God's people. So 24, some think, could represent the 12 tribes, meaning God's people in the Old Testament, and the 12 apostles representing the church, God's people in the New Testament. Um, so again, that's just the traditional view of what this 24 represents. So they're on these thrones. Now, also interesting to note, the rainbow that's talked about is a complete circle around the throne, okay? Which again, I've seen pictures of this. You've seen pictures of this. I don't know if it does it justice. I doubt it does, right? I'm sure that we're going to get there and be blown away, obviously. Um, it's not merely an arc, right? Like we see rainbows, we see them as an arc. This is a circle. So it's a complete circle rainbow type colors, okay? Um, but these thrones were actually around the throne horizontally. So the thrones are horizontal around the throne, kind of moving around the throne. Again, think like a king's court. So think like a king's court would be around the throne. And on those thrones are these elders. Now, what do the elders do in Revelation 4? They get down off their thrones and do what? Right, they throw their crowns at the feet of the one on the throne. So again, we as Christians most likely will fall down, worship the one on the throne, even throwing the crowns that he's given us back to him. Why? Because we didn't earn those crowns. We, we only receive those crowns because of what Christ did for us. And so again, that's why some people believe this is representative of the church. Uh, also, another reference there. Um, I gave you the reference of Daniel 7, 9, uh, number one. Uh, and Daniel describes the thrones. They were empty. In Daniel, now they're filled, apparently, in Revelation. So what's changed? The church, right? So now there's this fulfillment of the church and what Christ has done on the cross. So again, if you study this out, you're going to have different opinions. Different people will say different things. Um, this is kind of the traditional view in my studies of what I found uh, most would hold to. Okay. Number two in your notes. 
The idea here, John gives us very clear details about the throne of God. The splendor and wonder should leave us in awe. That's the point. We should be in awe of the throne of God. You can jot this down. I think I gave you some lines there. Uh, The word throne is used 14 times in chapter 4. So 14 times the word throne is used in chapter 4. It's actually a key word in the entire book of Revelation, appearing 46 times. So in the book of Revelation, the word throne appears 46 times. So the emphasis becomes very clear. No matter how someone interprets the book of Revelation, whether it's partially this, partially that, it's fulfilled here, it's fulfilled there, the rapture's here, the rapture's there. No matter how someone interprets it, one thing is for sure. The throne of God is not shaken. So however somebody's end time view comes together, theologically, the throne of God is the centerpiece and it's not shaken. Nothing shakes the throne of God. I think I put this quote in your notes. Warren Worsby says it this way in his commentary. Various teachers interpret Revelation in different ways, but all agree that John is emphasizing the glory and sovereignty of God. What an encouragement that would be to the suffering saints of John's day and every age in human history. Remember, our our overall theme of Revelation is not primarily end times, right? So many Christians are like, well, Revelation's about the end times. Or Revelation's really weird and I don't want to read it because it kind of freaks me out, okay? Like I'm intimidated by the book of Revelation. What is the purpose of Revelation? If we go all the way back to our first couple of weeks, what's the purpose of why John wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the book of Revelation. There's more than one, but what are those main reasons? Do you guys remember? Okay, to know Christ. Yeah. Okay. Okay, yep, you're getting there. Emphasizes the worship of God. We said early on, it's the most Christ-exalting book in the Bible. Specifically, specifically the New Testament. It's the most Christ-exalting book. Okay. Why else did John write this to the church? Yeah, so it's a practical encouragement to the believers. And I remember pointing out early on, and I heard somebody else say this, another, another pastor, much smarter than me, and I never thought of it this way. He said, how, how amazing that a book that's supposed to be the most practically encouraging book to Christians going through suffering gets denied by the church because they don't want to spend time reading it because they think it's over their heads or not applicable to their lives today. But again, as we looked at with the seven churches, it's very applicable to our lives today. And again, right now what's going on in our world, do you know why we don't live in fear when we hear wars and rumors of wars and whatever else is going on? Because God's on his throne and your salvation is secure in the one that's on the throne. So again, Do I like what I'm hearing? No. Do we like what we see in our world? No. Does it mean we don't speak out and speak truth? Of course we do. But I don't, we don't live in fear of what tomorrow may hold. And if you've been on social media at all in the last few days, man, there's people that are really honestly living in fear. Well, they're coming for us and they're coming for America and they're doing, okay. Maybe they will. Maybe somebody's already here. God knows and he's in control. And so we live our lives for Christ today. And if we die tomorrow, we die tomorrow and we go to be with Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, so what does Paul say? To live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, you're going to live your life for Christ. Do you do it perfectly? No, that's why there's grace. 
But if, if my life is lost tonight, I go to bed tonight and don't wake up in the morning. Man, that's a glorious night because I get to go be with Jesus. Paul says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to part and be with Christ, which is far better, but it's more needful for you that I stay. Paul's saying, I don't really want to be here anymore. I want to go home. But God wants me here. God's placed me here, and it's better for the church that I stay. And so again, when we read Revelation 4 as an example, and this is not only in Revelation 4, but all through Scripture, this is the reminder. He's on his throne, and nothing shakes him on his throne. Again, placing the throne as the centerpiece, we can easily understand the arrangement of this chapter. In verses 2 through 7, deal with who is on the throne, who is around the throne, what proceeds from the throne, and what is before the throne. Now the chapter falls into place. It just makes sense because the throne is the centerpiece and everything else is about reflecting and glorifying who's on the throne. This leads to, letter C in your notes, praise to the throne. Specifically praise to the one who sits on the throne. So letter C, the worship of God. Now, interestingly enough, here we see the only attribute of God stated three times. It's the only attribute of God, only characteristic of God, that's stated three times in all of Scripture. And that is, he is holy, holy, holy. So it's three times. Holy, holy, holy. Now remember, threes are very common in Revelation. In chapter 1, three was saw multiple times. And what does three represent? The Trinity, the Godhead. And so God the Father, holy. God the Son, holy. God the Holy Spirit, holy. And so again, he even goes threes again at the end of verse 8, right? Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And you see this all through the book. This idea of the threes. But specifically, I need to point out, and I want to point out to you, that the holiness of God is the only attribute that's mentioned three times like this. The Bible never says God is love, love, love. It doesn't say God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is grace, grace, grace. Now, is God love, merciful, and gracious? Of course he is. But only the holiness of God is stated three times. So what does that tell us? Like, what is John trying to emphasize to us? Go ahead. God is holy, okay? Is, is that, I mean, is that, all, is that simple as it is? What else do we take away from this? That, that John specifically said, holy, holy, holy. What do we draw from that? Okay, he's to be worshipped. Okay. Okay, all three are equally God, equally holy. That's a great point. Why should we worship God? Because he is holy. Why do we not worship self? Because we're not holy. What does it mean to be holy, by the way? We should probably start there. What does it mean that God is holy? Yes, set apart. God is set apart unto himself. So when in the temple, when they sanctified the, the utensils for worship in the temple, remember all the things that Nebuchadnezzar took back, had a party, thought, I'll bring those out. We'll have a party. Bad idea. God rebukes, right? Um, and then all the utensils are sent back, right, under Ezra and so on. Those utensils, that cup was just a cup, right? The table was just a table, meaning it was made of earthen materials, 
right? The walls of the temple were just normal stone and normal materials and normal gold. Nothing was holy about the materials. The gold in the temple was the same gold as the gold anywhere else in the common place in that world at the time. What made it holy was it was sanctified, meaning set apart for God's purpose. So by the way, we can apply this to us, right? As followers of Christ, you are a clay pot, the Bible says, an earthen vessel. Meaning physically, there's nothing extraordinary about you other than you were created by God. But the stuff you're made of, it's just the dust of the ground. So what makes us holy when Christ receives us and we receive Christ as Savior and he sets us apart for his purpose, for his use, now we become a holy vessel. Still made of earth and stuff, but now our designation is holy. We are set apart. Why does the Bible say be holy as God is holy? It doesn't mean be perfectly righteous, never falling, never failing, never sinning. We should strive to not sin, but we're still in the flesh. Be holy as I am holy is the word of God saying be dedicated, be committed to the setting apart unto God as God is set apart unto himself. So God is set apart to his purposes, his plans, his righteousness. And God will always defend his holiness. We see this in Jesus with the temple. Why did he flip the tables and drive the, the, the merchants out? Because they were misusing the house of God. They were marring the holiness of God. And so again, this is why God defends his holiness. Because he is holy. And it's the most important attribute of who God is because it sets him apart from everything else. He is holy, 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 and worthy of all praise. Number two in your notes, quickly, because we need to move on to prayer. I didn't think we were going to get done tonight, so I'm impressed. Good job, John. Thank you, guys. I appreciate the encouragement. Number two. A key we can take away from this snapshot of heavenly worship is that the Lord is worthy. That's the whole emphasis here. We see that at the end in verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now, in Revelation, this is a hymn of praise. A hymn of praise. Now, many of you maybe grew up with hymns in church. And to me, when I think of a hymn versus a, what we might call a praise song, a hymn in scripture usually is describing God or his attributes. It is intended to remind us of who he is and what he has done. A song that we sing to the Lord about how he's worked in our life specifically, maybe giving him praise, more of like a conversation. So I'm not so much declaring who he is, but I'm speaking to you more of what he's done in my life, more of a personal touch in some ways that may be considered more of a spiritual song. And we see this example in Colossians three sixteen: Hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs. Any expression of musical praise that directs it to Christ as a spiritual song. Hymns tend to be, in Scripture anyway, more descriptive of who God is. Uh, these hymns are common in Revelation. I believe I gave you those, those passages in your notes. Yeah, okay. So those are some examples of other times of praising him with a hymn of praise. Uh, the theme of the hymn in chapter 4 is God is creator. So what's the theme of this worship song? God is the creator. It reaffirms the truth of Colossians 1, 15 through 20. That all things were made by him, 
and for him, and without him, nothing was made. Right? We were formed for what purpose? For him, because he is worthy. And so again, John reaffirms these things in the end of chapter 4 with that hymn of praise, God is the creator. So, in conclusion to this chapter, this chapter draws our attention to the throne of God in all of its wonder and majesty. We are meant to feel humbled before his, this imagery, Remember, John is trying to describe this scene to us with what he knows, and I'm sure it is even more overwhelming in person. One day in Christ, we will gather with every tribe, tongue, and people to sing praises to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is worthy as the Lamb of God, slain for our sins, risen again, and exalted above every name. And can you imagine that day when every tribe and every tongue and every people group from all over the planet gather to worship the King of Kings. Now, I don't know, because I've not been there, so I can't tell you how it's going to sound. You haven't been there either, by the way, so you don't know either. But I don't know, since God is the creator of language, I don't know if I'm going to sing praises in English and somebody other in their tribal language will sing praises in Budik or Yanomamo or whatever other tribe it might be. I don't know that, but I tend to think I imagine it that way. This is just my opinion. I think God, in the beauty of all of these voices and languages and all of this, praising him from all of creation is going to be an amazing moment. So when you're down and discouraged and disheartened and feeling like, what's the point? Pause, reflect on that moment and say, God, one day I'll be worshiping you before your throne because you are worthy. You are the creator. I'm here for your purpose. So before that moment, let me live for you in preparation of that time. And that means when we worship as the body of Christ and we sing praises, we're just practicing and we're just warming up, okay? So if you come to church and you're like, well, I really don't like singing worship songs, you're not going to like heaven. Just I hate to tell you this, you're not going to like it because we're just going to worship him. And we'll be in service to him and there's other things that the Bible talks about. But I believe the most important role of the church in heaven is worshiping the king. And we're doing it freely as the ones that were paid for by the blood of Christ. And so let's do this. We're going to dismiss from here. Ladies are going to come up front and spend the time in prayer. Guys, we're going to go down the hallway here to the left to the prayer room and spend some time in prayer. I do have prayer guides updated for you, so I'll leave some with Julie, and then we'll take some time for the guys. If anyone is not interested in joining us in prayer, whether it be the ladies or the men, that's totally fine. You're welcome to head out here to the lobby, kind of just hang out out here, and the kids are done at seven or 8.15, and then we'll all be dismissed. All right, so ladies up front. Guys down the hallway, anyone not wanting to participate, you're welcome to hang out in the hallway. Thank you so much for being here tonight. I pray this is an encouragement to you. I pray it's a help. Um, Again, I know Revelation can be intimidating, but we're looking at it as practically encouraging, and I pray that's what it is. So let's pray and be dismissed from here and head on down to prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for all that you continue to do in our lives. Thank you for the reality that you are on your throne and nothing shakes your throne. I know, Lord, I can get so discouraged and distracted by all the things around me, the struggles, the chaotic nature of the world around us, Lord. But I pray that we would know that it may seem chaotic, but you are working your plan and your purposes for your glory. And so, Lord, we may not understand all of that, but we know that you are on your throne and that one day we will be before that throne only because of Jesus Christ. So thank you for that guarantee, for that hope that goes well beyond anything I can ever understand. It's a peace that passes all understanding. So, Father, would you go with us as we spend some time in prayer this evening So thankful to do so as the church, excited to exalt you 
and to lift you up. We ask that you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. So ladies, come on front. Guys will be dismissed. Have a great night.